Real Business with Alan Wick. Hello, and a very warm welcome to Real Business with Alan Wick on 107 Meridian FM. This is Alan Wick, and this is my radio show. I'm delighted you can be with me today. So why am I doing this show, and what's it all about? Well, I love working with entrepreneurs. I particularly want to help and support startups and early-stage businesses. So if that's what you're doing, or you know someone who is, this show is for you. Here in Britain, we're an entrepreneurial nation. Did you know that there are about 600,000 businesses started up here every year? But the reality is that most fail. Only about a third of them are still in existence after three years or so. Running your own business can look and sound exciting. TV shows such as The Apprentice and Dragon's Den can give the impression that it's all about making a fast buck, that it's all about the deal. But the reality is that it's a whole lot more than that. Being an entrepreneur involves passion, innovation, patience, persistence, never taking no for an answer, resourcefulness, and a whole lot of discipline. So I'd like to contribute to increasing the success rate of startups and early stage businesses by sharing the learnings of successful entrepreneurs and my own learnings from over 40 years in business. That's what this show is all about. Steve Jobs, who you may know as the founder of Apple, gave a wonderful speech to students at Stanford University at the end of their studies as they were about to go out into the world. In it, he advised them to stay hungry, stay foolish. I've decided to adapt Steve Jobs' advice for entrepreneurs. Instead of stay hungry, stay foolish, I'd like to encourage entrepreneurs to stay hungry, stay learning. That's why each of my shows will have an interview with a successful entrepreneur focusing on what they've learned and are still learning. As well as that, on some shows, there'll also be a chance to phone in and ask me a question about your business, which I'll do my best to help you with. I'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the next show, I've set up a 24-hour hotline number where you can leave a message. The number is 01342-889488. That's 01342-889488. Double eight nine four double eight, or you can email me at realbusiness at alanwick.com. So a little bit about me. I help businesses achieve their goals. I've been doing this for 15 years. Before that, I spent 25 years founding and running my own businesses in a variety of sectors, nationally and internationally. If you'd like to find out more about me, check out my website, alanwick.com. I'm really excited to be able to share my knowledge and help your business. And if you end up missing part of the show or you want to listen to it again, then go to the Listen Again page on meridianfm.com. By the way, this is my third ever radio show. So get ready for thrills and spills because anything could happen. So let's kick off with the show. This afternoon, I'm delighted to welcome a very interesting and experienced businessman, Peter Backman. Peter and I have known each other and worked together for many years. Peter, good afternoon and welcome to my show. How are you today? 
Hi, Alan. I'm fine. Thank you very much. How was your Christmas? Um, quite quiet, but I spent it with the grandchildren. They've just come back from America. Well, they came back last summer, and so it's been great fun um, getting to know them again. They're only five and three. Well, they're five, five and three because I've got twins. <laughs> yep, and... Um... Uh, welcome to the show, and thank you very much indeed for joining me. Uh, very much appreciate you you uh, uh, getting involved. Please introduce yourself to the listeners by explaining what it is you do. Um, right. So I'm Peter Backman. My company is called Peter Backman. <laughs> and what I do is, um, in, in a nutshell, I enlighten. Some people uh, don't quite get that. Other people absolutely do, and other people just say, what does it mean? Um, so what does it mean is, it, in effect, it means I help companies, I help individuals understand the whole environment that they work in when they're working within what I call the food service market. Um, in America, lots of people know what the food service market is. In this country, very few do, um, and confuse it and call it the food market, but Basically, it's to do with um, eating food when you're not at home. So it may be in a school, it may be in a prison, maybe in a restaurant, maybe in a hotel, maybe in a pub, any of those sort of places. Um, it's a very complicated market. It's got a very complicated supply chain. Uh, I'm very fortunate in that I've been working in that market for many years and I understand it. So I can simplify it and I can help people understand it. I enlighten. Fantastic. Could, could you give listeners an example, say, of a, of a piece of work you've done or a project you've been involved with, and perhaps an example of one of the businesses you've worked with, whether you, know, you, you can uh, go through the confidentiality and perhaps talk about uh, some brands that, come, that, that listeners may have heard of that they can relate to, whether it's restaurants or hotels or whatever? Um. Well, yes. Okay. So um, I've worked with, I still work with um, a number of wholesalers who supply the market. Um, one of the one of the biggest, or perhaps the biggest, is a company called Booker, um, who run uh, cash and carries. And I help them by looking at the market for um, some of the products in their range. They've got a vast range. Um, 20,000 SKUs, that's 20,000 individual items in their range, something like that. I help them look uh, over just a few of those um, on, a, on a quarterly basis. Um, I investigate what's happening. I tell them, uh, I discuss it with them, and um, they make decisions accordingly. That's a, an ongoing project, and I have a, a number of clients where I work on a a much more um, bespoke basis. So uh, it may be to do with um, a, a due diligence uh, situation when a company is thinking of taking another company over. They want to know all about that company, its good points, its bad points, whether what it's saying is true and, or not. And I help by giving expert commentary on the market or asking uh, individuals uh, in the marketplace or their competitors, what they think, what they do, and generally draw a very clear picture of what the um, company that could be acquired, what it actually looks like. Mm -hmm. And is all of that 
um, which sounds highly technical and quite complicated based on your own knowledge and experience, or is there some other kind of data or information that you rely on that you perhaps built up over the years? I, well, I have two, um, two main streams, two main answers to your question, actually. One is, yes, most definitely... Um, I have data. Um, I'm known as a bit of a data nerd because many, many years ago I was a scientist and my um, philosophy is if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. So I'm a scientist. I collect facts. I arrange them. I make them build up and tell a story. That's very important to me. Um, uh, so whenever anybody asks me a question, I can go to the sources and come up with facts. But the other side of it is um, having a gut feel, just knowing things, knowing people, being able to pick up the phone. Um, and I'm, I can do that as well because I've been in the industry for many, many years. Mm. Uh, and so a combination then of your knowledge and experience and uh, a data, uh, actual information that you've collected gives that sort of richness, I suppose, of what uh, you're able to give to your your clients. And then you, you mentioned that you were a scientist. Is that how you started? Did you study that at university? And then what led you from that into... Oh, uh, I, didn't, I didn't go to... Well, I went to university, the University of Hard Knock, <laughs> and the School of Life. Um, I, I, I did actually study at the Open University many years later. Mm. Um, but that was not really um, to, uh, to study a subject. It was, it was because I was getting uh, quite experienced by then. I was running my own business. I didn't need it for, to impress anybody when it came to a job. So um, I, I started off uh, working in a laboratory uh, for a, a food company, um, uh, working on um, technical developments, basically. Um, one of them was working with a product which um, was in a test tube in those days, mm -hmm. uh, but it turned out to be uh, um, a highly successful product that you can now buy in supermarkets everywhere called Quorn. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I trained as a scientist, but um, as a, at a fairly low level. Um, I realized that in order to get on in that field, I'd need at least a PhD, if not a couple, in order to get on. Um, and that wasn't in my DNA. So um, I decided to leave that, that particular branch of the food market. Mm. And one of the things that I, is a theme for this show, as you may have heard from the introduction, is this transition from working from being employed to starting a business or what gets people into starting a business what inspires them why do they want to be their own uh, uh, in control of their destiny and have their own business so you mentioned there that you went you started off as a uh, working in a lab and then going into business how did that transition work and what well, made you decide to, to start your own well, there's a gap between working in a laboratory and starting on my own. And depending on um, how long you've got, um, it, it either took me four or five years or it took me 25 years. <laughs> but, but basically, um, the 
the first move I made was getting out of the laboratory into a job which um, I thought would be better for my future, mm-hmm. where I could learn things which would be in some way beneficial. I had no idea what my future was going to be. Um, I just knew that um, I, I needed something different. I'd identified that people who got on wore suits and sat at desks. So that was my sort of um, job requirement for my next job, which was working with a trade association and then with a market research company. Um, And the market research company um, asked me to do a project when I hadn't been there very long uh, on the the eating out market. Uh, They said they know nothing about that market, but it was to do with food. Um, I know food, so could I please do the job? And I did it. And at that moment, I fell in love with it, with this industry. So from from one learning uh, uh, in my career, I guess, is work in an industry that you like or love or feel a great affinity for. Um, and the wonderful thing about the market, the sector that I work in, which is the uh, the sort of restaurant hospitality industry is it's just that it's all about hospitality being um, kind and friendly and nice and warm and opening uh, to people and that is um, a great industry to be in um, it doesn't suit everybody some people um, find other uh, other sectors much more uh, exciting but it's really suited me mm. so i found myself working in that that milieu for a bit um, and then my boss uh, announced one day that he was going to set up his own market research company. And really, without thinking, I had no no thoughts on this at all. I said, oh, can I join you? So I guess at that one non-thinking moment, I became an entrepreneur. The roots of the failure of that particular part of my life um, lay, lay in the fact that um, I since I was asking to join him, I was becoming a junior partner and I had a minority stake in the business uh, when I should have uh, had a an equal stake. Um, it's very difficult being an entrepreneur when you've got a minority holding in the business. So I think that's a big lesson for me. But that's a technical thing. Um, and it was muttering along in the background for, for the whole life of, of our um, uh, um, commercial relationship, our, our partnership. Um, the, uh, it worked uh, to the extent that uh, my partner was working in one particular market segment and I was working in another market segment. Uh, all about, And I was quite happy just doing my own thing in the food service um, sector, the eating out market, as 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 you can call it. Mm. Okay, and then as that developed, as the years went by, um, what changed as far as your relationship with your with your then partner, and what did you do about it once you'd understood that you didn't have that sort of level of control you would have liked? Well, running a business uh, takes money. And the source of the money was a constant uh, nagging problem. Um, And there was always a call for more money. um, And it was always very difficult. And as a junior partner, um, 
I, uh, but still a significant shareholder, uh, I, I had to play my part in providing funds. And it never seemed quite right. Um, my, biz- my part of the business was um, just UK-based. His part of the business was international by virtue of the, uh, of the products that he was interested in. So there were all sorts of tensions, and I guess I I was beginning to find my asking myself. My wife was asking me, "How can we get out of this? How, what 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 is the next step?" Um, and I didn't really have a proper clue until one day an American turned up on my doorstep, which sounds like a lead into. Um, another part of the story. Okay. And uh, tell us a little bit more about this American that turned up on your doorstep. Who who was it and what happened? Okay. Well, uh, I have to wind the clock back a few months uh, from the minute he turned up on my doorstep because I'd been in America to a trade show in Chicago uh, and I'd picked up some magazines which were ahead of anything that I'd seen in this country. And I brought them back to the office and I showed them to um, one of my colleagues who, um, uh, who was working for me. And I said, look, um, just find out a little bit more about this magazine. Um, a couple of days later, he came back to me and said, the, the boss of the, of the magazine, the, com- the guy who actually owns the company who runs this magazine and a load of others wants to come and see you. Mm-hmm. And I fell off my chair. Um, then, uh, we fixed up a, a meeting. My office in those days were in, um, Ealing and uh, in Uxbridge Road, Ealing. And that, and that is significant because, um, this American, um, had flown into London a couple of days before the meeting. We had the meeting at 10.30, 10.30 came and went, 11 o'clock came and went, 11.30 came and went. And these were days before mobile phones. And then there was a knock on the door and he turns up and he all hot and sweat and sticky. He said, I'd given the number Uxbridge Road and the cab had stopped me there. Now, you need to know that Uxbridge Road is about, I don't know, eight or 10 miles long. And it's chopped up in various bits and each bit starts at number one again. Hmm. So he, he turned up um, five, three miles away and ha- then had to walk from the number he'd been dropped at there right through to the next part of Uxbridge Road. Finally, he turns up on the doorstep, <laughs> a bit hot. And a bit late. And a bit late. Um, and that's a, that's a good lesson. If, if anybody's going to be late, make sure it's not you. What happened then? Okay, so um, let's call him Roger. Uh, that's primarily because that's his name. Um, uh, he came in, he sat down, he said hello, um, we chatted for two minutes. He said, Can I, do you mind if I shut your door? I said, no. So he did, and he said, I want to buy your bit of the business. Hmm. And um, that was in July, and by December he'd bought the business. Um, and that was, um, that solved my problem because I was now no longer um, tied to my former business partner, and I was on some huge um, salary, um, uh, mega salary, uh, which I did not understand how um, 
the, the money worked because I wasn't earning enough money to pay for it. Um, I still to this day don't know why I was offered such a lot of money, except that I think that Roger, who was a very honourable fellow, had in the early stages given me some indication that he would pay me well, and he felt that this was his way of um, being true to his word, which was a, a good lesson on the one hand, be true to your word, but on the other hand, be realistic as well. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he bought my business, um, and I started working for his company, um, which um, was very tricky to say the least, um, because uh, he was in the magazine publishing business. He wanted me to publish magazines. I was in the market research business. I didn't know how to publish magazines. So there was tension, um, uh, and it didn't work, um, which, uh, again, the, the lesson that I learned from that one is um, have your objectives uh, clearly stated. I had no idea what his objectives were, and I don't think he did either. So um, it was two or three years of uh, a tricky relationship. And in the end, I bought the business back from him Mm. uh, for a fraction of what I'd paid him. Mm. He paid me, rather. So what was the amount of time that had gone from you leaving your job in the the lab and joining your then boss until you sold the business? And then from the time you sold the business to then going out, truly on your own? What were the sort of time oh, periods involved? Probably around about 25 years. Gosh, over quite a long period. It, it was a long period. Most of the time was, was in partnership with, with somebody else where I was a minority shareholder. Yep. Thinking that I was an entrepreneur, and I, and, I, and I was in the sense that I was really risking my money every day, but uh, not being in control of decisions. Okay. So you've got now to the point where you are in control you bought the business back and now you're your own boss you're mm. in control then what happened okay so now um i'm ru- i'm running the business um i had to downsize because a lot of overheads have been taken on under the americans uh, a, a fairly um standard story i downsized and i da- decided to downsize more than i needed to so i could go down and then come up again so I was, I was effectively um, just three or four people um, turning over a, a bit of money. I found I had a lot of time to invest in collecting data uh, and analyzing it. And at that time, this was a, probably about 10 years ago, I was able to invest in um, a, um, a state-of-the-art a statistical model of the market, which is still very much going today, but I was able to spend the best part of the year creating that. Yeah, and um, did you have any, can you remember when you did finally become your own boss and control of your own destiny, whether you had any particular goals at that time? Um, To survive, (laughs) basically. Right. To survive, to get paid. Uh, uh, No, not having goals. Um, and looking back on it over time, that was the probably the biggest mistake uh, of all: uh, not having goals and not having an exit plan. You didn't, you need both of those to be a successful entrepreneur. And up to that point, had you had any formal business training, either when you were in partnership or with the Americans or beginning on your own? No, none whatsoever. Mm. It was all learned on the job. Yeah. 
Um, and what impact would you say uh, that owning a business has had on your lifestyle? That could be over the whole period or perhaps more recently while you've been a sole owner of the business. Um, well, my, 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 it sounds terribly boring and nerdy and, and uh, lacking in inspiration, but my job is my life. Um, I, I've got a family as well. That's also very important. Um, but what I do at work is um, it defines me as a person. At least I find it defines me as a person. Um, and um, it, it, it absorbs a vast amount of my thinking time, a vast amount of my time during the day. Although I, I, have, um, I do nowadays split up my, my days quite effectively between work and non-work related things. So it may be that I, I take three or four hours off in the middle of the day to do something else that's not work related. So I can become uh, multitasking, having different objectives during the day. And I think that is uh, one of the things that I, I can have by working for myself that I definitely wouldn't have working for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And what would you say you're proudest of, of the type of work you've, you carry out? I know, for example, that you're highly influential with some august institutions like the Bank of England and, and other industry bodies who uh, regularly seek your views and advice, uh, particularly looking forward. Um, uh, is that something that gives you a, a lot of satisfaction or is it more towards working with, with companies uh, day to day? Um, f first of all, um, I, I don't want to give the, the wrong impression. Um, I do a little bit of work uh, 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 with the, uh, helping the Bank of England. I, don't cer I certainly don't do anything significant. Um, I don't want to be accused of, of setting interest rates or anything approaching it. <laughs> uh, um, they occasionally ask my advice. Um, I've got, uh, I guess, the, the, yes, the things that, that really give me a lot of satisfaction is helping people um, doing something that I know is right uh, and that in the end um, uh, the the outcome shows it was the right thing. Or perhaps it may be um, on, on the data side where I've done some work and the data turns out to be absolutely right. That, that's just really satisfying. At the end of the day, you know, I'm sitting in the bath uh, and I can feel comfortable uh, about a job well done. Mm-hmm. And, and what about the other side of it? You, you've been very open on it, which I very much appreciate, and I'm sure the, the, the listeners will as well, as far as mistakes have gone. Is there anything that stands out? Um, you've mentioned already about, uh, uh, particularly for people thinking of starting a business, to have, it's really important to have a goal. It's really important to, to uh, be in control. This whole concept of the minority shareholder and that there were differences between you, something I call partneritis, of which there, there, there's a lot in that I come across in business. But what about other learnings over over the years that you might want to pass on? Um, I, I think sticking at it, um, uh, perhaps what, one, one thing that I've got wrong is sticking at things for too long. Um, but certainly if, if something is not going quite right, 
um, stick at it a little, or ask yourself whether it's worthwhile sticking at it a bit more and then sticking at it. Don't give up at the at the first um, sign of of difficulty. Um, and also returning to your uh, the, the point you made about partneritis, hmm. try and work with other people um, either as a as a fully paid up partner. That's one way of doing it, but make sure that person is the right person or work with a bunch of people, um, maybe in some sort of um, uh, informal environment, although that to me that doesn't really work, or, or with working with people out in your marketplace who respect you, who um, are prepared to recommend you to other people. So have, have partners, um, in, in quotes anyway, um, um, because that's really just a way of um, multiplying your, your power. Mm. Um, I think there's a good understanding now of what you do. And if I separate out the service you provide, your expertise in food service, hospitality, the sort of clients you work with, uh, from the business of running a business, and, and look at that, that for a minute, um, what about that side of it? Have, have you enjoyed the business of running a business, managing people, employing people, growing a business, all the things that I would say are relatively common, no matter what type of uh, service or product that particular business does? Um, I, I enjoy growing a business, more, more business, more money, more profits. I enjoy that. What I don't enjoy is managing people. So my ideal, my ideal business is one that doesn't involve people. Um, and I guess I was probably born many years too early, and I should have been born um, young enough to, to be um, uh, able to create a, um, Facebook, um, which requires um, uh, technology and, and people, or people come later, and you can employ people to employ people. So... Um, I'm, I'm, I don't enjoy managing people. And, and I, you know, I, I have recognized that over the years. Yeah, and that's an incredible insight. And again, for, for listeners either thinking of starting a business or perhaps at an early stage uh, where th there's everything to play for, I'd really encourage you to be honest with yourself. If you're a business owner, an entrepreneur, no matter what type of business you have, uh, as to what it is you enjoy, there's a huge difference between doing the providing the particular service to a market or people that you love or making a product manufacturing a product because there's a need and you love that side of it from managing people and employing people and taking them on and if that's something that is well i suppose that's something i'm going to have to do um, in order to to achieve the goals i've set out i would encourage taking somebody on uh, who does enjoy that, uh, who does like doing that, who is more natural at the sort of people-people sort of people side of running a business if you want to specialise in something that is uh, uh, your expertise. So looking back over the last five or so years, what would you say that you've changed once you had realised that and really taken that on board in order to focus on what it is that you, you really love doing? 
Well, first of all, I realized I didn't need as many people doing the job as I thought I'd need to do the job, which was a, a, a very useful um, eye-opener. Um, and it also meant that I can concentrate on the things that I think are valuable and that um, I can do well. So I like, I like talking at conferences. Um, I like uh, networking, all those those sort of interpersonal things um, I like. I don't know if I do them well, but I like doing them. Uh, and I'm known for it. Uh, I'm known not only in this country, but around the world, um, uh, not everywhere, but certainly in the US, around Europe, in, a bit in the Middle East and so on. Uh, and people come to me for, for advice. Uh, they come to give me information because they believe that uh, I'm a good conduit for for um, uh, expressing ideas and so on. So um, putting all that together uh, has meant that I've actually been, over the last couple of years, I've been able to focus on two really, um, I think, um, significant areas of change in, in the restaurant market. Uh, and um, I've been able to create um, services and products which will um, deal with those um, changes and with those needs and I think I've got real commercial uh, benefit um, over the years ahead so if you like it's me becoming an entrepreneur for the third or fourth or fifth time depending on how you want to define my life mm, 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 mm. and you talk about the restaurant business I think it's fairly well known that the restaurant business and the industry in the UK has been going through an extremely tough time. Uh, I'm sure all the listeners have heard about companies that have been doing uh, badly, that whether it's that they're blaming food price increase in food prices or business rates or the economy generally, uh, they are finding it, particularly in the mid-market, I think, very, very tough. Um, and what, what are your findings about the restaurant uh, industry in this country and, and what do you think is going to happen in the future? Oh, well, okay. So I think there's, well, there are loads of things, but there are, there are two that, that spring out at me. One is um, the the whole issue about um, home delivery uh, is very important, and we all see um, cyclists and motorcyclists uh, with um, packs on their backs delivering um, chow mein and um, burgers and whatever to, um, to, to people at home. Um, that is having a, a huge influence on the restaurant sector, and it's changing the way that, that people buy and consume food. The direction that that goes in, um, I won't bore you with my thoughts on that now, but the, the important thing is there are changes coming, and it's important for the various players in the market, whether they are restaurant companies or they're retailers or they're delivery companies, that they need to understand what's happening. Um, so I think that is one whole area of change. Um, the other one is restaurants, uh, as you've, you've um, highlighted, have been through a tricky period. Not all of them, but most. Um, and certainly the sector as a whole has been going through a tricky period. Um, the, a, a question then arises, uh, because it always does, the industry will uh, go, go through a cyclical upturn and things will start to get better. The question is, 
how will the industry be funded um, in, in the future, given that a lot of companies and a lot of individuals have had their fingers burnt over the last few years? What are they going to be doing in the future? And that's another whole area um, of, um, of interest to investors and to operators, and it's one that I'm heavily involved in. Hmm. And and when you say involved in, what are you are you doing about it? Well, I've 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 created a service which I'm calling Future Restaurant, which um, is designed to help um, restaurateurs, individual companies, and group operators because there are some very large chains active in the market. Uh, as well as people who invest in them, whether they're private equity funds or angel investors or whatever, helping these people to really get to grips with the issues through a, a process of debate, discussion, listening, hearing from experts. Um, it's a whole ongoing program that um, I've launched uh, and that will really gather speed in the first six months of next year. And um that's um, my contribution to the future of the industry. Um, tell us a little bit more about what that uh, is going to do. You talked it, uh, about it being uh, um, coming in to life in the first six months of 2019. What's it going to look like? Who will be, it will be involved? And what will the benefits of it be? Well, the, the benefit uh, is, uh, is quite simple. It's helping companies to... Uh, uh, future-proof their, their uh, restaurant operation, whether they're running one or investing in one, um, over the next five to ten years, taking a long-term view of the market. That's the, that is the real benefit. And being able to make decisions based on sound knowledge, because even the most experienced people in the industry only know a fraction of what's happening. And I'm going to be exposing... Um, uh, restaurateurs, investors, both to each other to have uh, the opportunity to debate um, topics between them at, over um, um, a lunch or um, at a mini seminar, um, to listen to experts who have um, taken a view on what may be happening, not necessarily in the restaurant sector, maybe in the fashion industry, um, how they have taken a, a view about the future and where it's going to go. And that could be at a, at a conference or at a, um, um, a, a, a meeting um, organized for just um, a select group of people. Um, I've got um, um, lawyers, I've got property people, all of whom are very eager to contribute to this debate because they have um, um, some interest in the outcome, but also have an extremely... Um, um, detailed knowledge of the industry gained from their own different angles. So just imagine you've got a, a room with some accountants, some lawyers, um, some property people um, talking to um, investors about the real challenges that um, uh, uh, the restaurant sector is going to be facing. It's a very rich uh, working environment um, that will produce uh, uh, a lot of detailed learnings for everybody who participates. It sounds terrific. Um, and I, a little bird told me that you, you've also got a book uh, that's recently been published uh, about the restaurant industry. Oh, yes. Is that right? Yes. It's called 
restaurants also serve food. Um, And it's based on on the philosophy that um, just imagine you're a food company. So you're you're selling um, soup or, um, I don't know, you're selling products to a retailer and you're doing it very successfully because that's what you do. You also sell the similar, a similar product or the same product to restaurants, and you really struggle. Take my word for it, you struggle. Hmm. You sit in your office and you say, I can sell very successfully to a retailer, but I can't sell to a restaurant. Why not? A, a retailer buys food and sells food, and a restaurant buys food and sells food. And that is where the problem lies, because a retailer does buy food and sell food, but a restaurant buys food and sells something else. They're selling experience, they're selling hospitality, they're selling um, a service. And the, the book is all about those differences and what they actually mean for companies and individuals who supply both retailers and uh, restaurants. It's called Restaurants Also Serve Food. Yeah, fascinating. I, I can understand why you've, why you've called it that. And that difference between pure retailing, which is more towards transactional versus hospitality and restaurants, which is more towards relational, uh, the experience and so on is a, is a big one. I'm not sure anyone has really looked into that in the sort of depth I imagine you have um, uh, before. So that sounds like a very interesting read for people who'd like to understand more about the industry. And, and we've been talking about the future of the restaurant industry. What about the future for Peter Backman? You've been through a lot of changes um, from the time you're working in a lab, in partnership, on your own, selling a business, buying it back, um, building a business, then discovering you'd rather be Peter Backman. Uh, What about the future? What would you say are the biggest opportunities uh, looking forward? Um, Well, I think what I'm looking forward to is putting my feet up. Um, but having said that, I'm always going to be working. I think um, I'll be working until um, they, they cart me out of my house feet first. <laughs> um, um, because I, I enjoy it. I get a, a huge amount of, of satisfaction from just doing the, the work and listening to people, helping people, uh, dealing with challenges. Um, the Future Restaurant is a project that um, needs a lot of... Um, uh, detailed nurturing. Um, I'm I'm still looking for people who are going to help me on that journey, um, and that is a, a long-term project. Um, hopefully, it'll be around um, after I have retired. Um, the uh, my book is only is only one. I, I, I'm writing other books, but more of a, a personal family history and general historical nature. So that's something else to keep me going. Um, there's the whole delivery space, uh, which is, um, is, as I mentioned before, that the, the restaurant delivery space is very interesting and um, there is uh, a whole body of work to be done there. And I've got clients who are um, uh, after my time and my knowledge. So one way or another, uh, there's a lot to do. Um, I think I've got to the point in my life now where I'm not not seeking to create Google anymore, um, but I, I want to have an interesting, um, a successful, financially rewarding life. Mm. And what would you say has been of all the learnings 
has been the most important learning in business to date? Um, I've, I've, I put front and centre. I would I would put having goals. Mm. The one thing I didn't have. Mm. Okay, and imagine there's someone who is employed. Uh, they're sitting at home, they're listening to this, and they've got an idea for a business. They're, they're very enthusiastic about it, passionate about it. Their friends and family might have said, wow, that sounds amazing. If you do that particular company, if you get it off the ground and produce that product or provide that service, I, I, I'm sure I'd buy it, or I know friends and family who, who'd love to buy it from you. But what would you say is the most valuable advice that you'd give that person who's thinking about starting a business? Um, uh, it's, it's interesting because um, a, f- a few smaller businesses do come to me with, a, it's usually a one man or one woman, uh, have come to me with an idea for a product for, for the, the restaurant market. And they, they say, what do I think of the product? And, you know, will people buy it? And I say, I don't have a clue. What you need to know is, is this something where, where you are clear why you're actually doing it? Um, is it for the money? Is it for the glory? Is it for the satisfaction? Why are you doing it? And then having a clear view, um, ask yourself those sort of questions um, because they're going to be absolutely fundamental to what you do. Um, in my experience, um, it's possible to sell a lousy product and, and make a certain amount of money out of it. And it's possible to fail selling the most brilliant product mm. merely because the thought, the, the driving force behind it is not aligned with what the, comp- what the person is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be that- be aware of yourself, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Well, Peter, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining me on the show today. It's been very interesting listening to your story um, and I wish you a, a happy new year and no doubt we'll speak again soon. So thank you. Um, I hope from listening uh, to the conversation that you took away some useful learnings for your own business. Um, If you'd like to be a guest on my show, or if you have a question about your own business, I've set up a 24-hour hotline number where you can leave a message. The number is 01342-889488. That's 01342-889488. Or you can email me at realbusiness@alanwick.com. If you missed part of the show or you'd like to listen to it again, go to the Listen Again page on meridianfm.com or the radio page on alanwick.com. I'd like to thank my producer, Raphael Moran, for doing such a great job behind the desk. Thank you for listening. Do tune in again at the same time on Sunday, the 27th of January. Wishing you a happy and healthy new year. And remember, stay hungry, stay learning. Bye-bye. Real Business with Alan Wick.